Welcome to the PacSex Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 23 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mary, and uh, I hope your travel to Germany was pleasant. Oh, it has been quite interesting. I will tell you this, the weather has been beautiful this week, which is so nice because in years past, uh, for our listeners, I'm at the Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg, and in years past, it has been quite chilly, but this week has been lovely, so um, kudos to the weather. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get started, we'd like to thank eGate Solutions for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we are all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, who probably needs no introduction. Seth Miller, he pens the hugely popular Wandering Airman blog. He's known, actually, as a, a loyalty program expert and an increasingly infoconnectivity connectivity and PaxX expert, and is a regular contributor to RGN. Seth, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm also known as a rather bizarre and ridiculous traveler, uh, someone who enjoys... <laughs> flying for no particular reason or just because I happen to get to be on an airplane. And, you know, I'm sure I'm, sure I'm known as many other things, but I'd like to be to think that they don't tell me that for t my own protection. Oh, Seth, I don't think of you as being ridiculous. Okay. Just all the other things. I understand. I appreciate that. All right. Well, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, Airbus finally revealed its vision for an 11 abreast A380, and it isn't necessarily pretty. Mary and Seth, uh, you saw the configuration at the Airbus stand at the Aircraft Interiors Expo. Seth, what did you have uh, for first impressions? Wow, that's a lot of seats. Uh, it's, <laughs> it was pretty. They do a really good, good job of showing it off. Um, and it's almost hard to believe that the airplane is really that wide. Just seeing, you know, only that little chunk of it on the ground. Uh, at the same time, I think what I really noticed is the window seats are awful. And I'm a window seat guy, so that's terribly disappointing for me. Uh, the rest of the seats are also, despite sort of the marketing claim of we still offer 18-inch width, they are smaller. They're narrower. Um, Airbus is playing some games with seat width by making the armrests narrower and measuring inside the armrests. So it's not like you're getting the same exact seat as a tenebrest uh, passengers would receive. And you know, anyone can do the simple math and say you can't put an extra seat in and not make things smaller. And yet Airbus <laughs> is sort of trying to market it as, oh, no, it's still 18 inches. It's still fine. Uh, passengers will now have more choices uh, is one of the sort of taglines or the corporate speak lines that they've been using a lot during the show. And we, I guess we have a choice of whether we want – I guess you do have a choice if you want to pay more and not have that seat. But you really only have that choice if there's an airline not flying it. And I think that's my biggest concern is how many airlines are going to move this direction? Are we going to have a situation where 
it's the only sort of aircraft flying in particular routes, and there won't won't really be choice uh, in what that situation is going to yield in the end. You know, what's really interesting about this is that uh, Airbus, of course, the original plan was for Airbus to uh, in, uh, show this configuration off last year. It, it made an 11th hour decision not to do so. Um, for reasons that were not entirely clear last year. We, we were told um, but, parts were missing. Right, oh, that's right, 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 right. Um, but, you know, all along for the last year, the conversation has been about, you know, kind of how rough it's going to be for that individual who's in that middle five. It's, you know, 353 three, and that poor unfortunate soul who's in that uh, middle five, uh, which is a bit more of a claustrophobic experience. And um, either way you look at it, there's no kind of easy way out. And that's always been kind of the conversation for the last year as to that being the worst seat. What we learned this week at Aircraft Interiors Expo, and this is why I don't think it was that pretty, um, is as Seth mentions, the window seat. Um, What happens is that they've essentially raised the floor, I guess, to a certain degree so that you're now... Where your legs are hitting uh, the sidewall, um, there just isn't enough room. We have a picture. We have a picture on the site. I urge people to go go and check out this article written by John Walton, uh, who is now penning a new column for us called Upfront. And we've got a picture of our friend, our good friend Jason Rabinowitz, and he's sitting in the window seat, and he does not have room for his legs. That's all there is to it. It's it's kind of stunning. Oh, sorry, I'm going to yeah. interrupt you real quick. Uh, it is. They did not raise the floor from everything I've heard. So then, why am I looking at this picture and seeing this? What What is going on then? They've adjusted the way the window, or the sort of the the side, the outside seat, three sets rest. Mm-hmm. They're a little further outside than they are in the regular ones. So, sort of the start point of the window seat is closer to the window than not. Um, if you look mm-hmm. at the picture, and I don't know which one you're actually looking at, but there's a sort of head-on shot. You can see that the armrest, yeah. if you're looking at the, sort of the armrest holder against the window, it goes up at an angle away from the seat bottom. So the seat cushion mm-hmm. is actually much narrower than, you know, in, in, the old, you know, in the old layout, it's just a seat cushion. And, you know, the whole seat is sort mm-hmm. of inside the curve, and then you've got a gap between you and the window. In this case, what they've done is made it so that your shoulders are closer to the window, which... If you like sleeping against the window, I guess is a good thing. Uh, it's better for your neck, but your feet now, there's probably a four or five inches lost between where the cushion ends and where the floor ends. So your we will include the in the window is actually about 12 inches of foot space. Right, right. We will include this picture um, with the post uh, that accompanies this this podcast um, so that you can have a full appreciation for what we're talking about here. Um, It does not look in any way, shape, or form like a pleasing passenger experience. It looks um, like a seat that's suitable for small children, and that's about it. (laughs) You said it, Max. (laughs) Uh, shocking stuff. Um, but, uh, but of course, let's, you know, we need to also mention the fact that Airbus wants to sell the A380. It needs to sell more, and it's hoping that this is going to attract airline customers. Yeah, it's, I guess, is this basically the play on we're trying to keep get the chasm even, even lower, even though they have claimed for a long time to have the best chasm of a super wide body? Mm. 
Well, you know, it's it, it flies in the face of the comfort campaign, of course, that Airbus has been pitching for the last few years. Um, you know, Airbus is is has tried to fashion itself to be the the air framer that provides you that comfort. And even though they can still make the claim that you're going to get an 18 inch width, it's hard to see how they can make the claim of comfort with this 11 abreast A380 configuration. Yeah, and I think yeah. that sort of tells the story of the conference, or at least one of these stories of the conference in many ways, where everybody is saying the numbers still look good, but delving sort of a little deeper into them, the reality of what those numbers say isn't what they used to mean, right? 18 inches Mm -hmm. is 18 inches, except now it's only 18 inches at one point instead of top to bottom. Yeah, no, this is very true. Well, next, uh, Southwest Airlines, they've revealed renderings of their economy class seat for the Boeing 737 MAX, and they claim it will be the widest on any 737 in the single aisle market. Mary, what were you able to learn about this seat this week? I wish I could tell you that I learned lots and lots about this seat, but this uh, is an interesting uh, little bit of a backstory here. Um, so Southwest made this announcement and uh, actually gave us the indication uh, that the seat was um, on the BE Aerospace stand. So a number of journalists made an attempt to actually go see the seat and uh, unfortunately were shut out time and again uh, by BE Aerospace. So um, it, it, I would love, love to be able to tell you some, uh, some nice granular detail about this, but all I can tell you is that Southwest claims that this is going to be the largest, the widest seat on uh, you know single aisle 737s out there flying. Obviously they haven't been able to make the aircraft fuselage larger and this is going to debut I should say on the 737 MAX um, so obviously it comes down to seat uh, innovation now, Seth uh, was doing a little bit of analysis on this and, and, and what this will entail. And, and I know that one thing that Southwest did say is uh, that it involves, uh, you know, this slimmer armrest. Seth, what were you able to ascertain about what they're doing with the armrests? Yeah, so, I, again, a lot of this is from renderings, and it's, it's hard to be certain 100% exactly what's going on because, much like you, Mary, I was unable to actually get in and see these still-under-development seats. Uh, I think it's basically the same game of numbers which Airbus is playing, and that is the armrests have become narrower, and so we can get an extra half inch of seat width simply by giving passengers less armrest. And that's with the same exact cushion or even, you know, same exact sort of smaller under space or the same space. It may not even necessarily be smaller, but it's certainly, you know, the other option is that the airplane is suddenly four inches wider or that the aisle is four inches narrower based on some of the numbers I've Mm. seen published. And also, it's not entirely clear to me where the published numbers are coming from because the press release doesn't have them. But everything I can see is that this is basically the same game of numbers which Airbus played with the 11 abreast 18-inch A380, which is at some point within the quote-unquote personal space of your seat, there will be a dimension that is that wide. But there's no indication at all that shoulder space has gotten wider somehow on the seats on the 737s. Um, 
the other course. thing is, I think they're actually also going to deliver on some of the 738s that they have coming in mid-late next year before the max deliveries start. Right. Uh, we should note that uh, the Airbus A380, the seats on, uh, rather the A320, the seats on the A320, which of course competes with the 737, um, are 18 inches in width. And so, you know, a, that is considered, and this is what Airbus had hoped it would sell to passengers and airlines, that that should be a comfort standard, that the closer you get to kind of 18 inches uh, of width, um, it means a better passenger experience. So you can see why Southwest is making, uh, you know, this effort, particularly in light of the success that JetBlue, for example, is enjoying and other A320 operators in this regard. Um, but I guess the, the larger issue here is that we're seeing kind of a lot of press releases that are uh, vague at best and borderline or outright disingenuous at worst. And um, it's a little bit worrisome because, you know, passengers are increasingly sophisticated and savvy and increasingly know uh, what they're flying on. And I know that all of us are making an effort to uh, ensure that they are aware of what they're flying on so they can make better choices. And, um, you know, it's, it doesn't help the market with all of this cloak and dagger uh, sort of information when it comes to seats, particularly in light of the fact that we have observed in the industry, as we talk about regularly, Max, the fact that in the back of the bus, in large part, the passenger experience is devolving. Mm-hmm. The seats are, of course, getting uh, smaller and we are getting taller and wider as a populace. And um, it's very, very concerning to see. Well, my question is, with all of these uh, announcements that uh, we've been talking about here, who are they trying to impress? Are they trying to impress (laughs) the airlines, or are they trying to impress passengers? Or Or Wall Street. Or Wall Street, (laughs) exactly. I I think it's the first and the last. There's no way that these moves are designed to impress passengers, or passengers have become far more stupid than even I think they are, and I'm not the most forgiving of people in that regard. Um, Love y'all. But (laughs) seriously, I think, you know, we struggled with BE Aerospace during the week and that was very frustrating. But at the same time, I sort of respect that I'm not their customer. The people I write for, only a very small number are their customer because I do know that airlines read my stuff, but I mostly write to the consumer. So a consumer doesn't buy a BE Aerospace or a Zodiac or a Recaro seat. And very rarely does a consumer buy a ticket on a particular airline because they know that the airline has a seat from one of a specific manufacturer. They may know that I like the premium economy seat on airline X or, the, you know, or I, I like the economy seats on JetBlue because they're a little wider, but they don't know who makes that seat. So I sort of understand that. Um, and I understand why the manufacturers are, you know, working towards other manufacturers. It's very much a B2B space. But at the end of the day, the customer, the, the real customer is the passenger. The passenger is the one has got to sit on it. And they are going to want to know what the trends are and what's going to happen coming down the pike, sort of. Well, I, gotta, I, I think it's worth mentioning that the aircraft interiors industry, historically, um, there has not been very much transparency in this industry. It's actually kind of fascinating. Uh, aircraft interiors, they haven't really faced real news. They have managed to successfully manage the message about their products um, uh, for a very, very long time. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I use it as an example, uh, the Asiana uh, 214. 
uh, crash a couple years ago, of course, uh, in San Francisco. Um, you know, when we were trying to cover that crash, and I think, Max, maybe we've talked about this in the past, mm-hmm. you know, we, journalists were scrambling to try and find out who made the seats, who made the evacuation slides. Of course, you'll recall that the evacuation slides uh, opened up uh, in the cabin. Um, you know, because these, this is important information in the event, particularly in the event of a survivable accident. And it was so difficult to get this information. Why? Because the aircraft interiors industry enjoys this, uh, this kind of... Uh, they've been able to manage the message and they've been able to successfully keep these, this type of information from the public. We as journalists believe that it's time for transparency in aircraft interiors and it's very very disappointing when you have major uh, uh, providers including the largest which is BE Aerospace um, not only you know not providing kind of basic information about some of these new seats we understand that there's confidentiality with their airlines and maybe they don't want to really reveal something at the time and that's all fine but you know to the point where they were shutting out media uh, virtually entirely at the show and this is the second year in a row where journalists were going up to the BE stand and just asking to be able to even have a basic interview or just get on the stand to just see even uh, just some of the basic uh, products that, uh, that have already been revealed and, and talk to someone with some knowledge. Uh, it was really shocking to see BE um, shut out the media for a second year in a row and, and, and it really took uh, some strong arming to be completely honest with you from, uh, from airline, uh, an airline partner and also Hamburg Aviation which is the cluster that that hosts this entire big event to finally have BE at the in the eleventh hour allow journalists onto its stand. Um, it's a story probably for another time, but it just it harkens to the fact that it's time for aircraft interiors to be a bit more transparent because ultimately these decisions do impact the passenger experience, and ultimately in a, in the event of a survivable accident in safety when we're looking at safety coverage, uh, we should have this information at our disposal. Yeah, yeah. And I can't think of a single company or in aviation or any other industry that's uh, been successful and had good results with a communication strategy like that. So uh, it, right. you know, it's, it's going <laughs> to do it now or get bit in the end, I think, is, uh, is the result. Well, uh, our last topic, and certainly not the least, is, well, not about seat width, uh, but about the theme that's emerged from the Hamburg show about nose-to-tail connectivity and how that's become, well, a cost of doing business for airlines. Uh, Mary, I know this is one of your favorite topics, and why are we at this, well, this watershed moment in the industry? Yeah, this is, you know, um, it's it's been fascinating to watch in-flight connectivity. You know, years ago... Uh, the uh, there was a lot of naysayers still, you know, even when say for example GoGo uh, launched and and it would have been say 2007 2008 time frame when things started rolling out. Uh, there were a lot of folks that said, oh, you know, this uh, connectivity uh, it didn't work for a connection by Boeing. If it doesn't work for an airframer, it's not going to work for anyone else. This is uh, kind of dead on arrival. Um, and uh, and then a lot of those that have judged connectivity have been looking at it from the lens of well, what does it mean from the passenger experience and. Uh, they they weren't looking at the fuller picture in that connectivity is going to be used for more than connecting passengers to the internet. Um, increasingly, it's going to be used for operational benefits, for uh, arming the crew. Um, right now, for example, Lufthansa's pilots have access to real-time weather mapping over their electronic flight bags using the KU band connectivity pipe provided by Panasonic to, uh, to the Lufthansa fleet. So we're seeing that, but even even more than that, and, and this was fascinating 
fascinating. Talis was talking about this uh, this week. They're looking, the industry is looking at studying these pipes and, and moving um, more critical data in the event of an emergency over these over these broadband pipes, such as black box data, for instance, or uh, in the event of uh, non-safety aspects of A cars, you could do it much more cheaply over KU or KA. So what we're seeing kind of from a watershed moment is this acknowledgement that connectivity is core to the aircraft, core to the E-enabled aircraft. And and it's less also now about, well, who, uh, you know, what frequency is that pipe uh, operating via? Um, and this is interesting. Seth wrote kind of a fascinating piece for us. And, and it's, it's I, I got to give you the title um, because I actually came up with it and I'm really impressed with my, <laughs> with my, head, <laughs> with my headline in this regard. Ooh, well, let me find it though now. I've got to oh, get on the site it. and find it. You got it's it. It's ATG, it KU, KA, who cares? Why it's all about yeah. the bandwidth. Exactly. It's a great title. A great, it's a great article too, Seth. Thank you. Oh, Thank thanks. you. It's, it was, I got to tell you, I didn't go into the event expecting that to be the story that came out of it, um, especially from the connectivity providers. My, I, I honestly expected to have a very different set of conversations this week. And to a person, every vendor I spoke with basically said, we all need to stop focusing on these letters. The letters mean something to a technician somewhere in a back room. But from a service provider perspective, it just doesn't matter. All the systems work. They all have their quirks and variables and limitations and benefits. But all of the systems work. At this point, it's a matter of finding the right economics and finding the right solution for any given airline, fleet, subfleet, whatever sort of breakdown you want. And I think some airlines have been more aggressive than others about sort of finding niche solutions for niche problems. I think... United has the we'll take one of everything approach. Uh, I guess they don't have anything from Global Eagle, so maybe not one of everything. No row 44 for them, although at one point they did test it out. So they really have sort of seen it all. Everyone else, though, you know, and other airlines have varying solutions as well. But you're in a situation now where different airlines are trying different things. And I think many of them are saying, finally, we, we don't care what you call it. We need to make sure we have a solution that meets X number of megabits, you know, N number of users, this much capacity, this price point, and we can put a portal on it that our users will be familiar with. Make it happen. Mm -hmm. And some of them are doing with multiple providers. Some of them are doing it with a single provider. But the letters behind it don't really matter anymore. And maybe that's partly our fault. I mean, I certainly have played the KUKA and for a long time played it wrongly because I kept getting them confused, but you know, sorry about that. Uh, the game and sort of talked about, oh no, you don't want KU, you want KA. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. What you really want is performance. You want to be able to have a fast connection. You need to be able to get at your data. You want that awesome experience and coming up with a solution that does that. KU can do it. Um, Panasonic has said repeatedly over the last several months that their per megabit prices have come down significantly. Uh, it's unclear because no one really publishes any of these numbers what that means. But and if they're cheaper than you know a different provider, but you know they are getting way more aggressive about making it economically viable using KU. That's great. Viasat and uh, Talus in flight, which is spelled with a Y somewhere in there, also say that you know, they've got these great pricing points, and th they're all doing it. And I think at this point, you know, consumers might finally start to win in that these airlines or the vendors, the connectivity vendors are all competing aggressively on price point, aggressively on service. And we're getting to the point now where 
the connectivity is coming is becoming much more prevalent and the prices are coming down. So what I would like to to also stress, though, here is that when we're talking bandwidth, of course, and we're talking about uh, reliability, this is all essential. Uh, you know, quality of service is essential then when you're looking at using this pipe for more than just passenger experience, when you're looking at it uh, for these other benefits to the airlines for the operational and ultimately to a certain degree, uh, some safety benefits um, uh, to these airlines. And, uh, and so that is crucial now. And, and you see that the, that the pressure is on uh, all of these providers, um, again, to be able to show a certain uh, quality of service. And um, so it's really interesting uh, days, Max. Uh, I think we've gone from people talking about it from a PAXX standpoint to now the connected aircraft and what, what can you do with this aircraft once it's a node on your network. Well, it seems like the sky is quite truly the limit. And, and you are only going to be limited by your own imagination as to, as to what you can do and the efficiencies, efficiencies and cost savings that you can yes. drive when you have connectivity. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah, Mary and Max, can I throw one more thing in on that topic? Yes. Sure. So earlier this week, uh, GoGo also made an announcement. Um, I think this is probably the first show in a while they haven't had a huge major announcement, but they've still, they announced a Crew Connect platform. Uh, and this is sort of a back office solution uh, talking about crew messaging and contact and things like that. And speaking with uh, one of the product guys over there during the week, I sort of, I asked about it and it's, you know, it's, they're talking about putting VoIP over their platform, um, pushing text messages, being able to have communications, being able to say, you know, someone in ops could send a message to everybody on flight one, two, three with a particular message if that was appropriate. So it's not just going a cars to the cockpit, but it also can hit the flight attendants in the back. And one of the other things they mentioned, though, is being able to do things like emergency services. If there's a medical emergency, the flight attendants could potentially use that rather than a sat phone. And as we talked through it, one of the interesting things that the guy mentioned was being able to, because in this case, you know, it's a solution that GoGo would be able to put over their network or any network that's got, you know, the right hardware on it. But they basically meant, talked about being able to control quality of service and bandwidth and sort of provisioning such that if a flight attendant was having a medical emergency or managing a medical emergency, they might hit the sort of emergency button on their tablet or watch or whatever they're using for communications. And GoGo would know that that was priority data traffic. And so even with the limited bandwidth available through an ATG solution, they could give it top priority from a quality of service perspective to make sure the call went through. And so, you know, the other people on the plane trying to browse the internet who don't know what's going on might get a little less bandwidth. It might be a little more frustrated, but the important call could go through. I thought that was really interesting sort of mm -hmm. talking about how the sort of big picture management of the networks happens and this sort of node on the network and really tying it all together makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like it's it's kind of all finally coming together uh, for this industry. And I have to say, as someone who has been covering it since it's, uh, uh, well, gosh, it's been nearly 17 years, which is just nuts. Uh, back in the day when they were just even, you know, it was pie in the sky back then. It's kind of fun to see all of these companies um, moving from strength to strength and playing now an integral role uh, in uh, airline operations. And I have to say, just personally, it's exciting for me to see all of these names becoming uh, 
enjoying some success, let's just say that. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, one quick question for Seth. Seth, you mentioned earlier that the prices were coming down. Is that because of competition or manufacturing costs or uh, what's driving the prices down? I should probably be very careful about saying that. Um, especially in light of recent reports from GoGo that they're raising their prices uh, to the consumer because they're still trying to control their uh, consumption in that regard. I think, Mary, I wrote a story for you about that a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, the story we're hearing is that the wholesale bandwidth costs in these satellite markets are coming down. So the amount that Panasonic pays to the operators of these satellites that they are buying bandwidth from is coming down. Ah. And other vendors are experiencing the same thing. I think... Uh, Global Eagle just signed its deal with Mary. You'll have to remind me who. Oh, with with SES. Yes, S. Thank you, SES. Where they're getting mm-hmm. going to be getting a bunch more bandwidth, and one would presume that they're getting mm-hmm. it at a much better per bit rate. And part of that comes from competition. Part of that comes from newer satellites have more bandwidth available. So as newer satellites go up, the per megabit price is cheaper. And part of it comes from the volume of data being purchased is expanding rapidly. So. This is sort of the, you know, if I buy the 10 or the one gigabyte plan on my cell phone, they charge me $40. And if I buy the two gigabyte plan, it's $60. And if I buy the four gigabyte plan, it's $70 kind of thing. So they're obviously buying much, much larger packages than that because any one user might be using that much on a particular flight. But when you're buying massive volumes of data, you tend to get a bit of a discount. And a number of the vendors have indicated that the volume sizes are increasing so rapidly that they're able to repeatedly negotiate better pricing from the underlying uh, providers from the satellite companies. Well, we're rapidly coming to a close here. I want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at www.runwaygirlnetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @runwaygirl, And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. This week especially has been off the hook with PaxX. Uh, and a lot of people, of course, using it while they were at the Aircraft Interior Show. And then those who couldn't be there joining in on the conversation. Conversation. It was a lot of fun. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, eGate Solutions, and I'd like to thank Seth Miller for being our guest. Seth, where can listeners find you at? Absolutely my pleasure, and thanks again for having me on. I am at W-A-N-D-R-M-E on Instagram and Twitter, and that's WanderMe uh, on the interwebs in general, and Wandering Aramean, if you're trying to Google it and can't figure out how to spell it. It's all spelled wrong and all terribly confusing, but that's the way I roll. <laughs> And, of course, uh, your content can also be found uh, on increasingly on Runway Girl Network, and we're very, very grateful for that, especially this week. Uh, some tremendous stories, Seth, out of the show. And, Seth, thanks again from me as well. And for all of you listening, please join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everybody. 